Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by the new Chancellor of the University of Tennessee at Martin, Dr. Yancey Freeman. Dr. Yancey Freeman comes to the University of Tennessee at Martin from UT Chattanooga, where he was there for over 25 years in various administration, recruitment, and enrollment roles. A first-generation college student, Freeman completed an undergraduate degree in political science, a master's degree in public administration, and a doctorate in learning and leadership from UT Chattanooga. He serves on the board of the Public Education Foundation in Chattanooga, the River City Company, and Chattanooga 2.0. Freeman was named a 2018 Top 30 Influential Leader in Chattanooga by CityScope magazine, and he holds active memberships within several honor societies, including Golden Key, Alpha Society, and Phi Eta Sigma. Freeman is also a 2020 graduate of the UT Systems Executive Leadership Institute. Good morning, Yancey, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning, Mary. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, I am absolutely delighted to be speaking with you. You are about to take on the role as the new chancellor at the University of Tennessee at Martin. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So I am speaking to you a week before you are officially beginning, though I know the transition is long and you've already started the process. I think I started the day after it was announced, so that's... It's all good, though. (laughs) Well, Yancey, will you tell us about your work history, starting with the first job you ever had? Yeah, so uh, going back, my first professional position, I'll I'll start there because I won't bore you with uh, the 15-year-old job at Crystal's and all of the turmoil (laughs) around that. But I'll start with my first professional position. I I started as an admissions counselor recruiter working for UT Chattanooga. And I came, I grew up in Memphis. And so that was home, decided to come all the way over to the other side of the state to East Tennessee and started out, you know, did the undergraduate degree at UTC position became open for an admissions recruiter. I was a very active and engaged undergraduate student, you know, SGA, all kinds of stuff. And so uh, when the job became available, I thought, oh my goodness, this is great. And started recruiting and I was traveling over to the West Tennessee area. So all parts, Memphis, of course, all the way up North uh, West Tennessee through Martin, Dyersburg, you know, Dresden, all of those areas. And so I had some familiarity with Northwest Tennessee as well. Uh, I know my, my landmarks are high school. So that, that may or may not be a good thing. And so I started as a recruiter, you know, working for UTC and thought, gosh, I can't believe they're paying me to go talk to students about enrolling at at an institution that, you know, has been transformational for my life and it's been fun. And and so I loved it. Once I started that job, I knew I could do nothing other than work for higher ed and work with college students and helping them meet their goals. I have been, you know, I'm the type of person who is uh, absolutely centered on people. I invest a lot of energy and care and concern in people. And I get, I derive my energy from helping folks meet their goals. Uh, and so I, I dove in completely into that job. And I think part of that uh, has allowed me to sort of get the next progressive position. And so I went from being an admissions counselor, I took a little stint at a college prep school, high school here in in, uh, Chattanooga, worked there for two years in the admissions and financial aid office, and then came back and was associate director of 
of admissions at UTC, then director of admissions, assistant provost, associate pro. I mean, and so it's been sort of a progressive thing. My most recent position is vice chancellor for enrollment management and student affairs. Uh, and I handle stuff outside the classroom. So I have a very good partner uh, at UTC. I've had a very good partner at UTC and provost, Dr. Jerry Hale, uh, here. He handles the stuff in the classroom. So all of the academic stuff is his. The majority of the out-of-the-classroom stuff belongs to me. It's everything from admissions, student conduct, student organizations, you know, career services, advising, all of those things are in one division at UTC. And so we have lots and lots of fun together. We're bald brothers. And so it's been good, really, <laughs> really good. So Yancy, what did you major in in college? I undergraduated in political science. I started out thinking I wanted to be an engineering major. And uh, then I, uh, I thought, uh, maybe engineering doesn't fit my personality. If you can't tell, I'll talk to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I got an undergraduate degree in political science with a concentration in public administration, a master's in public administration, and then a doctorate, a PhD in learning and leadership. So as you progress through your different roles in your career, I imagine the group of people that you were responsible for managing grew and grew and grew. So can you tell us a little bit about your leadership style and maybe reflect on where you started when you first had people that you managed and where you are now? I really view myself, my role in every, in in particular, in every progressive situation uh, as a servant leader. So I believe in sort of the servant leadership style uh, in terms of, of what I do. I have been very fortunate to work with some very talented people. I, I always want to, I want, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I want the folks around me to be much smarter because I get to learn from them, uh, you know, what they know. And I get the pleasure of, of allowing them some flexibility to be able to go and do some things that they dream of and that they think about and want to do. Uh, and so I'm I'm smart enough to to, you know, be around talented folks and smarter to let them run, you know, and, you know, let them go and be in that talent in a way that allows us to reach our goals. Uh, and so for me, it is how do I facilitate that work, facilitate the work that they need to do, facilitate removing obstacles, um, keep us all out of landmines that will, you know, come along uh, for things that we might need to do. Uh, and so that's what I try to do uh, in terms of my leadership style. I try to provide guidance and direction. I am, you know, somebody that tries to be rational and sensible. And I try to use really good common sense around making decisions because for the most part, people appreciate it. They understand it. They will follow and it gives them confidence in their leader. If if you have somebody who's patient, who's willing to sit and talk with you and explain decisions, rationales behind decision. And so I tend to be that type of person who uh, doesn't get, um, I'm usually even keel. Also, Mary, I, I don't, you know, I try not to take like too, too seriously. And then I am very serious about the success of our employees and uh, very serious about the success of our students. Does that make sense? And so there is a fine line in terms of how you navigate that whole thing, because I want us to move, you know, in terms of the things that we're working on, it's unacceptable to do nothing, uh, because I feel this immense 
sort of pressure about having the future and lives of young people and uh, people who work for the institution and even the community to a larger degree, I have a, a huge sense of responsibility for that in me. And so it drives me to do really well and to do thoughtful work and to, you know, move forward. Uh, so not moving forward is not acceptable, you know, in my opinion and, and in the way that I move things. So that gives you some idea. Uh, one of the things I've tried to do, my, my leadership style has developed throughout the years. And so I've learned from people that I've reported to about things to do and also things not to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so you take nuggets of information, you know, across the board as you get stuff, uh, as you experience different scenarios, uh, circumstances, and hopefully you learn from them and, you know, don't make those mistakes again. And in many situations, you know, you get some success and you can tweak uh, those successes to continue some success. So, It's absolutely true that we learn so much from the people we work with and work for and the both the good things they do and the things that don't really resonate with us. So can you give us an example of maybe a leader or a mentor that you've had that you really liked what they did and what they did helped you to flourish, like some yeah. particular things that those leaders have done that um, you think are really best practices? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, in higher ed, I have several people that I uh, look up to uh, and have tried to emulate their style. A lot of the spirit that I have around students first is not about me. It is about what you do to help and uh, someone else, you know, comes from one of my very first mentors and he helped me. He was uh, someone who worked in the advising center. He was the director of the advising center here. I remember Mary Days, uh, I'm a first generation college student. So first person in my family, I have a very large family. I have eight brothers and sisters. Well, there are eight of us, seven brothers and sisters. And so come from a really large family, first person in my family to go to college. I am the sixth of eight uh, siblings that are there. And so there were days when I would go into his office and sit in the floor and say, I cannot make it. I just can't do this. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to go home. And he was someone who really invested time and energy and effort in me and said, yep, get off the floor. Come on. You can do it. What's wrong? Let's fix it. One step at a time, one day at a time. This is how you move forward. And so I try to give that same energy back you know, to uh, students, to people that I engage with. I am the kind of person that the glass is not just half full. It is all the way full for me, right? Uh, all the time. Uh, and so I always try to see the positive in any sort of situation that's there. Uh, another mentor has, you know, really instilled that in me about, you know, seeing the positive in things. How do you reframe, approach things differently? How do you navigate very difficult situations? Because remember, standing still is not necessarily, is not a good thing in most situations, right? And so how do you sort of navigate and pull from any situation what is positive and then act on it? Yeah. So I don't know if that, if that answers your question. I'm happy to go no. deeper if I need to. Well, absolutely. And this idea of reframing uh, what one person sees as negative or even mistake, right? We can see these as opportunities 
things that happen, we don't want to sweep things under the rug. Right. And I think, you know, standing still when it comes to conflict, I think that's what a lot of people do. They just sort of right. participate in magical thinking and wish yeah. it away. Right. And so conflict is real and it's normal. It happens everywhere. Conflict is not bad. In fact, it can be really good. I right. think, you know, we want to manage our conflict because that means that people are engaged and they feel like they can actually speak up. We talk yep. a lot about psychological safety. And so yeah. that's good. We we want to hear dissenting views. And as leaders, right, you want to know if <laughs> something isn't working or Agreed. if there's a problem. So how do you, what is your philosophy of dealing with a couple of things? One, mistakes yeah. and conflict. When when you come across an unmanaged conflict where people really are at loggerheads with one another, what what how do you deal with those situations? Yeah. So are we are you asking about mistakes that I've made or mistakes that others have made? Others. Okay. So I tend to be really really patient uh, with people. I am. Uh, I look to their heart and intent. Uh, and if it is something that someone just did not intend to do then I tend to be very patient to say, okay, let's think about the situation. Let's analyze what happened. Let's figure out how to make sure it does not happen again. As long as it was not a life or death thing, it can always be fixed. <laughs> you know, uh, there are some things in higher ed, in particular in this chancellor's role, in my role in student affairs that are life and death things that, you know, that make it really difficult. We have to be precise. We have to be, you know, we've got to practice. We have to make sure that our process is aligned with best practices. But the majority of those things, Mary, are not uh, life and death sort of circumstances. And so I tend to be very patient with folks. I tend to look very much at intent and want to make sure that if there is goodwill and good intent there, then we can correct it. If there is a feeling that there is a, a will for, you know, malcontent or is something there that is vicious or, you know, visceral or does not align with the values that, that you know, the institution has set forward, that I've set forward as a leader, then I become a lot less patient with that sort of attitude and that sort of mentality. But I tend to be really patient, you know, for folks who make a mistake. In fact, I, I tell my team, uh, I've told them, if we're going to make a mistake, let's make it really big. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's make a really big mistake because it shows that we are still moving forward and that we're still trying and that we're learning. As long as we learn from it and adjust and make some good decisions based on the mistake, then I think we're in really good space uh, overall. And tell me, I, I forgot your second question. So... Along the same sorts of lines, when you come across conflict, so you have staff workers, uh, now, of course, you're going to have faculty. And, you know, given the nature of what happens in the things that faculty members teach, there's natural dissent. So how do you help people deal with their conflict? Yeah. So I generally what I have found, and uh, I am not conflict avoidant at all. I, I will. I like to deal with it head on. I try not to allow it to, uh, my, my mom used to say, let it stew, don't let it stew. Uh, and so I, I try not to let it do that. I try not to let it sit because inevitably, if you do, it doesn't get better. It ends up actually getting worse and more things happen. And so I try to deal with it very directly. And I will normally, I talk if it's two individuals who are not having, you know, who are having a disagreement and uh, I try to to make sure that I talk with those folks individually 
And then it is always my practice to pull them together, right? Because I think most times having a chance to sit down and talk, talk about where we differ, uh, and maybe more importantly, talk about how we are the same and where we agree is a good starting place for resolving whatever conflict is there. Uh, most times I find that the folks are closer to agreement than they are on differences. There are some idiosyncrasies there that, you know, small incremental things that are different about their approach and their philosophy and their thinking. And, you know, you can get folks who are invested in whatever process, program, you know, idea, whatever it might be, wherever that conflict lies, if they're willing, if they're reasonable and willing to compromise, 99.5% of the time, I've, you know, you're able to kind of come to some sort of compromise that everybody can live with. Uh, nobody wins all the time, but if you're going to be reasonable, then you're able to come with, you know, come to some compromise. On most situations where it will make it better and everybody feels good about the outcome, you know, you have situations and times where folks are unreasonable uh, and it just doesn't work out that way. And unfortunately, it is part of conflict and part of just humanity that you're going to have situations where it, it just doesn't work out and you have to then make some decisions about, you know, what happens next. I have unfortunately had situations where it didn't work out. People were not willing to bend or to be reasonable or to compromise. And it's led to, you know, termination of employment in situations or uh, removing a person from a particular project, if that is what it called for. So just depending on the circumstance, it's a necessary, I'll call it a necessary evil. How's that? Uh, that you have to administer and do and work through in situations where it just doesn't work. So yeah. also not afraid to deal with that and to do that sort of a, a maneuver or route toward resolving. Because what needs to happen is you got to resolve the conflict. And if you can't resolve it with the two people who are there, you have to be able to remove something or change something about that process. That, I mean, so I hope Absolutely. That's yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, if you want a healthy work environment, it doesn't come by accident. It comes by right. effort, yes. intentional, sustained effort over the life of the organization. Right. And I agree with you. Most people come to work wanting to do a good job. And in the course of work, we're going to have disagreements. And I would hope increasingly. I mean, I think right. that's a sign that diversity inclusion is working. That means we right. have more voices, that's more, right. you know, that's more right. experiences. So we should expect to not align with yep, one another. That's right. That's right. And so that we need to know and develop those conflict competency skills so that we can have confident conversations with one another that are fruitful, productive, right. and forward looking. Yeah. Yeah. The the best thing I can do is have a lot of different thinkers thinking about a concept, idea, program, whatever. Uh, because if that happens, guess what? We're going to think about all of these different things that could potentially stop it or that would potentially make it go faster than our dreams, you know, could even go uh, around it. So you want to have spirited, you know, really spirited conversation and really spirited discussion about any particular topic from folks from diverse backgrounds, because it does help you to get the best ideas on the table and then to move forward with those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. One area that I'm very interested in is middle management. Okay. I've 
come across a lot of leaders um, who have the kind of education and background that you have. And so you know what to do to lead. Obviously, that's why you have this position that you have. It seems to me that a lot of people get promoted because maybe they're good at what they do. So at a university, you might become a chair or a dean because you are a good professor and right. researcher, but doesn't necessarily mean one way or the another about your people skills or your ability right. to manage and lead. And it seems to me in my work that in all organizations, they ha- there has been a failure to really invest in the training of these people skills, as you've said, investing time, um, clarity, transparency, or what is your vision to help those middle managers? Because those are the people who are actually spending the time with the majority right. of the staff and faculty. Yeah, that you listen, they are critical to the success of the institution uh, because they are helping to create not just policy, but process. And they are the folks who are responsible for making sure that that process goes, that it's fair, it's efficient, it's effective, uh, and that folks are invested in it, right? And the way that you do that is to be as inclusive as you can around whatever you're doing. So they are critical to the mission of of what happens. So the middle management is really critical in uh, in terms of of their responsibility for the success of any organization because of the role that they play in working with frontline staff who are dealing directly with students on a daily basis. So it's really, really important. And I was thinking to myself, the higher up I've gone uh, in terms of, of position and level, the less important I've become uh, in terms of, you know, being able to sort of drive and control what happens, that kind of thing. So I am only as good, I will only be as good at Martin as the faculty and the middle management and the the, the staff that's there and the love and care that they give to students. So my hope, my desire, my, my goal uh, when I get there is to lead by example, you know, and hopefully the way that I interact and I treat them will be the way that they will treat each other and also the way that they treat students. Now, it's a phenomenal institution. I am learning that very quickly. I started learning that through the interview process, and uh, it's an incredible institution that has caring, caring people who really do believe in this Skyhawk family theme that's there that sort of obviously runs through everything that happens. And so it's not going to be a heavy lift for me, you know, going in to talk about care and concern for students. But my goal is to be able to go and say, look, as as a leader, I'm dependent on you and I am going to always treat you with kindness and civility and with respect uh, and to make sure that, that I, you know, you feel like I see you and I hear you uh, in terms of, of whatever your issues or concerns might be. And so I hope to be able to do that uh, in going and, and talking with the team that's there. So doing that is an incred- is a critical piece, leading by example and making sure that they see it in me. I've also been very fortunate to participate in a lot of supervisory training uh, opportunities, uh, leadership training opportunities. I could marry name probably 10 different things off the top of my head of of sort of training that I've had a chance to participate in. And again, you draw from it what fits your personality and what works for you, but it gives you a chance to understand and learn about best practices as it relates to 
dealing with people. I'm, I'm hoping, I know that they have these opportunities that are available. I'm hoping to dig more into, you know, those opportunities for training, for faculty, for staff. The University of Tennessee, the state of Tennessee has tremendous benefits. I'm hoping that folks are taking advantage of the educational benefit that's there. You get a tremendous education at the University of Tennessee at Martin. And so I'm hoping that we get as many, at least staff members enrolled in classes. Many of the faculty have terminal degrees already, but I'm hoping we get as many, you know, staff members as we can enrolled in classes and so that they're taking advantage of the benefit with the goal of perhaps progressing in their career and getting to the next uh, progressive level in their career. So that's an important part that you hear about when people think about how they feel at work and the idea of progressing, you know, what is the next thing for me, which is a sign of being cared for, being invested in, being seen, being valued. And some people are happy where they are and aren't looking for another role. And that's a, where you're planted. That's, that's right. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent fine. It, yeah. But we are different at different times and have different kinds of needs yeah. given our life situations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Though those folks, you are always going to need those folks who are happy with the job that they're doing. They have reached their goal. This is what they want to do. And they are, phenomenal employees and they do it really, really well. They know that they're doing it really well. They have a heart for the work. And so you always, you will always need those types of people who can intervene and and do, do great work. And so there is, you're right. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. So when I think about the world of work and my own experiences, I'm a people person, relatively positive, but I've had my share of negative experiences at work. What about you? Can you tell us about a time or a situation where it's either been with a a supervisor, a colleague, a client, so to speak, that was difficult for you? And what was it that was difficult for you? And how did you deal with it? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I have to think of a really good one. I've thought about times where I've made mistakes and I, I, uh, I thought, okay, this employee is a really good employee, very knowledgeable employee. They're just not motivated. And so uh, believe it or not, Mary, one time I promoted someone that I thought, well, they're a great employee. They're not motivated. Let me promote them, give them this additional responsibility and, you know, push them a little bit to see if, you know, that will motivate them to do better. That did not work. (laughs) (laughs) That did not work at all. Uh, You know, and so, you know, you have to have somebody who is willing and and wants to advance and wants to do, you know, great work. I talk all the time about transactional versus transformational leadership as well with the team and uh, what happens there. And I want to make sure that I answer your question, but I I do, I think it, it is an important caveat around leadership, what happens, how you do it well. Uh, how you stay into sort of a either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, you know, in terms of what happens uh, with employees. And so what I what I use to try to motivate folks. So I've had that sort of situation overall where I promoted somebody and thought, oh, this will motivate them to do really, really good work. And it just did not work out well at all. 
I've had situations where uh, we've had employees who have really behaved badly, right, and uh, have not been appropriate in the workplace that uh, in terms of how they treated employees, treated them, you know, treating employees not well. And so uh, where I've had to work, walk through termination procedures with employees as a result of it, I, I have had to terminate. I So I'll tell you the thing that drives me to 10 fastest and that, you know, is sort of a real pet peeve uh, for me is uh, someone mistreating a student. I usually don't respond well to that at all. Because like I said, I always treat people with civility, respect. I want to make sure that people know that I am listening, that I hear them. I might not always be able to do what you're asking, but you will never walk away from a conversation with me feeling like I disrespected you, right? Or that uh, you didn't have my attention or whatever. And so I am very, very big on making sure that we treat people fairly with respect and with civility, that type of thing. And so I had an employee once who had such a negative encounter with a student who admitted it. I mean, the employee admitted it, admitted and said, yep, I said it. Yes, I did it, that I moved to immediate termination for that employee. Because I I just, that is something that I I just, it's hard for me to, to maneuver and to tolerate overall. You know, for me, it is about your heart and your intent and what happens you know, as you begin to move down this road about how you treat people. And and that probably comes from something in my background, you know, where uh, I've learned that it doesn't matter, you know, how you're feeling or what you're doing. It never hurts to speak, never hurts to say hello. You never know what your smile might be doing to someone's day who might be having a bad, you know, and so I, I that is something deep-seated in me, uh, Mary, that I, I, um, that I walk through. And unfortunately, you have to deal with negative circumstances, but I tend to deal with those head on as well. I, I, I usually don't run away from conflict for all of the reasons we've talked about. It, it doesn't get better. Right. I think it's a sign. I'm a big proponent of civility as well. And yeah. organizations have having civility clauses and procedures and insisting on civility because the workplace is for everybody. Right. Not yep. just for the loud ones, not That's just right. for the people on fire, even That's though we right. want them. That's right. But That's everybody right. needs to know what the parameters are and what happens when you stay within the parameters and what happens when you fall outside. Because right. if there are no repercussions, there really are no parameters. That's right. Absolutely. And it doesn't create a good work environment for everyone else because lack of trust, people yep. don't care, they won't yep. do what they say they're yep. going to do. But I, I really do believe that how anybody else behaves has nothing to do with how we choose to behave. Right. That's so right. within an organization, I think from pre-hire to retire or fire, we treat everybody well. That's we treat right. everybody with our values. And independent of what somebody else is doing, I think the organization speaks volumes when there's mm-hmm. been a mistake or there's been a conflict. Right. Because that's when we really see what an organization believes. That's right. Do you really care for us or is it now us versus you? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very profound. I, I agree with you. I, um, as I said, I have, I have been just overwhelmed by the kindness of the folks in the community. And so I don't, I don't view this as a, you know, top level thing that I'll have to, 
to deal with. Folks will learn my style and learn what I care about. And I know that that will be part of the maturation process for me with the community and the community with me. And I'm talking, you know, the Martin community in a broader way, we kind of go, but I am looking forward to it. The campus community has been just incredibly welcoming. And there is, if I heard it once, I heard it a million times, we are a family. We are a family. We are a family. We have those sort of traditions and values on our campus where we care about each other. And that piece drew me more to the campus. Uh, I know folks are like, look, don't, you know, we want you, this is the type of person that we want, someone who will embrace this. And so that drew me more to the campus uh, overall. So as you look into the future of work and you think about students, you clearly have a heart for students. I do too. I just, you know, I taught for over 20 years. I love helping, being a part of their development. Right. And so as you think about, students growing and developing and going off into the world of work. And then of course, all of the employees that are under your, your supervision, what do you see as what needs to happen so that in every workplace, people are not only treated with dignity and respect, but are encouraged to flourish? Yeah. Yeah. I I think we have to, higher ed tends to be the type of 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 uh, entity that is very hard to change, really hard to shift. Uh, if you do shift and change, it is very done very slowly. Uh, and folks always talk about higher ed doesn't work at the pace of business. And to some degree, there is some truth to that around how higher ed traditionally does things versus, you know, how private industry might do the same sort of work. Uh, there is some, uh, you know, some truth to that. And so I think with COVID, the cheese has moved just a little bit. The expectations from students are different. And so you have to adjust some in terms of what those expectations are. And I think the cheese has moved for faculty as well. And so they're thinking around how we teach and the expectation of online and what that does for students, the availability of it. It is really hard now to, or at least what we're seeing nationally, is it has been harder to get students, all students to be able to come 9 to 12, 8, you know, 9 a.m. to 12 noon to class, brick and mortar, traditional style. You're, you're going to probably see more hybrid situations where students going to come three times a month or four times a month to a class and the rest of it is going to be on. So there are some, some different idiosyncrasies of how uh, we teach and how we interact and how we engage in higher ed that I think are going to change. I think we're going to have to focus more on the investment of higher ed. Uh, Why would I, as a student, invest four years of time, thousands of dollars, gaining this education, getting a degree? Will it mean something for me in the end? And so we have to talk more intently about the value of higher ed and and, kind of what that means. Because things are changing and shifting so quickly, it will change and shift the relationships that people have in the office. Uh, There are some offices, companies now that are work remote first. That's what they do, right? And so in that situation, how do you continue to build a community? And so you have to figure out ways to navigate and and do those pieces uh, going forward because the remote stuff is It's probably not going to go away, maybe not anytime too soon. It provides another avenue to serve students in a way that we had not thought about. 
And so you have those pieces that are there. The artificial intelligence, the AI, chat, GPT, that stuff is transforming how we teach and what we do and what happens in the classroom. And so managing some of that is going to be a piece of the future of higher ed and managing it in such a way that we are using it for its advantage versus using it as a tool against students. We did an experiment here, uh, believe it or not, at UTC. We did an experiment here and we had folks write an original document about a particular topic. Then they plugged it into the chat GPT and found the, the checker, right? And found that came back with a high percentage of AI. But we're like, no, we we just saw you sit and do this. We know you didn't, you know, go back. And so, gosh, nothing's perfect. So how do we, you know, negotiate that relationship with faculty and their expectations and students and what may truly be just a misunderstanding, right, mm -hmm. around what's there? And how do you create and teach in a way that says, gosh, we're going to give you ways to think about a particular topic that you can't go back and, you know, we're not going to just do a paper on the Civil War. We're going to do something on the impact of the Civil War on Martin, Tennessee, at the time that it, you, you begin to throw more caveats in there that, that cause more twists and turns that make it a little bit harder for somebody to use AI to respond to the question. Does that make sense? And so I, I mean, there are some things that I think we need to do that will be level setting expectations that will help us around kindness, engagement, moving forward progressively and everybody getting their expectations met. Very well said. I mean, expectations are king, what people's expectations are. But as you mentioned, we just have this changing landscape. Everything yeah. is changing. And so change management is obviously very important. How to help people navigate the change? What does the change mean? Many of us are change adverse. We think change yes, is bad, right. even <laughs> if it will benefit us. Yeah. It's difficult. And so yeah. articulating for people why the change is going to be beneficial to them, their students, the organization. And it's not so clear, as you mentioned, with remote work's not going away, online classes aren't going away, AI is just beginning. Right. How do we embrace those people first, yeah. people-centered? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think we've been in higher ed chasing our tail. Like, we've got this new product online, and students like it, so we're yep. going to give it to them, rather than really thinking about what does it mean to get a college education? Yes. Which is not the same. We're not just little detached brains. We are That's whole right. people. Right. That's Physical right. people. That's right. So That's what right. does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. It it is um I am I am really hoping to be able to do some of that thought leadership with the team there uh, and you know to really set ourselves apart from what you think about from traditional higher ed. Right. And to challenge some thinking around traditional higher ed modes and the way that things have been done uh, in the past. I, I really, 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 really believe that if higher ed is going to sustain itself, you got to get in front of some of this. You, you just have to be in front of it. Uh, it's there. And instead of saying, gosh, ChatGPT is the worst thing ever created, you got to figure out a way to use it to your advantage so that students can use it as a tool to learn yeah. from it, 
Right. But you give them still ways to critically think about particular topics, areas, things that is that I mean, I, I just um, that that's fun. That's just absolutely fun for me. And the way that we will engage with students in the future is exciting. They keep changing like really, 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 really quickly. <laughs> you know, they keep changing. And I had I was meeting with this professional group and they called it Generation P for post-COVID, generation huh. post-COVID. Huh. That group is very different than mm-hmm. the Generation Z, uh, mm-hmm. which is the one that we are truly in right now. And so their expectations are going to be very different. And so how do you, what do you do to navigate those expectations uh, so that we are challenging them to think critically, they are getting the value of the education that we promised that they would get, they are seeing the value of higher ed and this ability to sort of critically think, because I think that's what we do in higher ed. I think you could probably, for most professions, follow someone around, learn what they do, and be able to do it. The the piece higher ed provides you is an opportunity to think critically about a lot of different things, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's a it is a way of thinking. It it is it gives you sort of this ability to navigate particular topics and have educated opinions about what's there based on data and information. It teaches you about research and how to. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because I, <laughs> but. Um, you know, that is exciting for me. Yeah. Well, if you like change then, and obviously change and leadership, I mean, when I think about higher ed today, so not only do you have traditional students, but you have non-traditional students. And so the professor in the classroom has all of these different kinds of expectations and backgrounds and competencies and interests. And then all the staff and faculty are all these different levels of of right. age, so generational differences, yeah. and we're all together. So we're all one. And I love your emphasis that we have more in common than we don't. Yes. But let's talk about what we don't have in common and how can we change all of those into opportunities. Yeah. And I think I love your language. It's very positive. And, you know, you, you that's, I think, a good leader has that vision and says, we're going, because that's what you talked about the first half of this podcast. We're moving right. forward. Yep. So let's get everybody on board and let's move forward. And that's change. Change is happening. So let's be a part of it and not resist it, but have conversations about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think folks have to just be willing to listen and not be inclined to say, well, I know everything, you know, nothing. You should listen to me and uh, you should always follow what I say. Right. I mean, I, I, I mentioned to you that I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I, I try to be a very intent listener uh, and I try to learn from every iteration, every situation that I'm in. I'm trying to learn and derive something from it so that I'm always making better decisions. So I think folks have to just be willing to listen, willing to talk, willing to sit down and willing to change when change is appropriate. Um, it's okay. I, it reminds me of so I, I I generally do the welcome, the executive welcome for our orientation session. And throughout the session, I have thrown in just really terrible jokes to get the crowd, you know, comfortable <laughs> with me and with the orientation session. There is, of course, a lot of anxiety that happens with new student orientation, not just from the student, but also with the parent. 
Uh, and so we, the parking garage code uses the, um, what students now call hashtag, you know what I'm talking about? And so, and so I will get up and I'll say 1886 pound and the students look around and the parents are laughing, right? Because they know what pound means from the old dial up phone and that kind of thing. And students know that, that, that same symbol as a hashtag. Well, being able to look at that and laugh, and then I come back and I say, I know students, it's hashtag, but for today's purposes, we're going to call it pound and parents understand. So being able to uh, come back and, and talk about those differences, accept those differences, understand that there is an, a difference in interpretation between what someone uh, who might be 18 now and coming into the environment, what it meant to them and what it might mean to me as a 50 plus year old, then, you know, there is just a very different piece that's there. And both, nothing is wrong with having a different philosophy, right? right. I mean, right. It, it, uh, it is development and, and that's what right. we have to appreciate in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending this morning with me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk with you again soon. And I hope that this is helpful for somebody. Yes. Well, thank yeah. you very much. Take thank care. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Yancy, for being on Conflict Managed. I really enjoyed getting to speak with you and listening to your leadership style and your vision for a healthy work environment. I wish you all the success in your new role as the chancellor at the University of Tennessee at Martin. I have exciting news. My new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, is now out and available on Amazon. Please get yourself a copy and share it with friends. The book is a reflection of what not to do at the workplace so that we can think critically about what it means to have healthy workplaces, both with our own behavior and what's going on within our organizations. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember... Conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.